Hi everybody, welcome to Player 456, a Squid Game podcast. We are 10 episodes in now, so everybody should kind of know who we are. My name is Jack Shaw and joining me as always is my buddy and Squid Game fanatic, Colin McMillan. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm very good, thank you. You are going to run out of adjectives eventually, but that was another two good ones tonight, so well done. Um, yeah, 10 episodes in a decade. Um, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it and loving some of the feedback and the correspondence we're starting to get, which we'll come on to in the next couple of episodes. But I know I see we say this every every week when we sit down to record these episodes, Jack, but I think this might be one of my favourite episodes. I think it is. It's <laughs> definitely got my favourite scene in it, which we will get to. And it may be it may be different to most people's. It's um, earlier in the episode than maybe most people would imagine. But this is episode four. This is stick to the team. And no real surprises here. It's pretty chronological. We're following straight on from the Honeycomb game in episode three. And this episode packs a punch, I suppose we could say, Colin, because not only is there one game, one main game, but there's a sort of Sneaky game, will we call it? Yeah, we almost call Inception, don't we? If a game within a game, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, and it's—I mean, it's, we'll, we'll talk about it. But yeah, this is one of the episodes where I think you, as a viewer, realise, and the contestants themselves realise that the actual games and the the ten fifteen minutes they spend playing each game is really just one thing they need to be concerned about. But there's a whole lot more, which I think they all start to learn in this episode. Yeah, because both the games present different challenges one is just a straight up game of strength and the other one seems to be a game of ability to murder other people which obviously is alien to i would imagine 99% of the viewers i don't imagine there's many people out there that have murdered people that are watching squid game you never know might get netflix in jail i'm not 100% sure actually i think you do get like a you do get Netflix in jail, but it's a condensed version of some of the more stuff that they think is going to get them excited, I think, is taken out. But there is actually some version you can get it on certain privileges. I don't imagine they would be putting this on then. Probably not. Yeah. Like I say, we, we, we sort of pick up right where we left off in the previous episode. Uh, the Honeycomb game has finished. But there's a new player almost we're introduced to, and that's player 111, Colin, who is... As we find out, a doctor, Young Sung Ju, and he is told by one of the guards, go left. Basically, a little bit sneaky, hiding away. So, again, another curveball. We're not really expecting to be introduced to many new characters three or four episodes into a new TV show, but this is a an interesting one because what he's doing behind the scenes we will get to. But what were your thoughts here when you seen that happen at the start? Sort of, go that way. What were you thinking? It, it, it just it, you're, you're right to call out the fact that you're probably not expecting to get to know any new characters intimately at this point because it's already quite a big cast and you've spent quite a bit of time looking at people and seeing their sort of backstory and why they're where they are. So yeah, you are surprised when somebody else becomes a player really and a player that seems to have some link to the guards in some way automatically starts your kind of spidey senses twitching. So yeah, I was quite interested by this as soon as I saw it. Yes, the... One of the guards sitting in the, the pretty cool control room basically just deletes the footage, so there is something afoot because obviously he doesn't want maybe the boss to see the front man. That, I'll be honest, didn't particularly jump straight into my mind when I first seen this because I did think that 
they're a criminal empire, obviously, that are running this, and this is just another way of making money. Basically, the guy's harvesting organs, and we will get to that, but what was your first thought here? Did you think, right, the guards are up to something, or like me, did you think this is the whole organisation that are doing this? No, I, I did, to be honest, I did feel it was a kind of an undercurrent, and it was a spin-off of a, a scam or something that the guards were involved in, just because of the discreetness. I was sort of whispering to him and telling him to come to the left and the secrecy involved, because I think you've seen so far in terms of shooting people dead in the face, um, horrific games and things like that, they're not shy about awful things. So I think if it was an organised thing and they were just harvesting organs en masse, it would they'd be all over the place and you'd probably have known about it already before now. Right, so that's right at the start, Colin. What is, what's happening with the rest of the players? Basically, they're back in the dormitory. Yeah, back to the heroes, as I call them. They're they're back in the dormitory, and um, the first thing you notice is that our, our hero, Ali, is absolutely delighted to see that all the team have made it back. He's so relieved and ecstatic to see the team come back together. There's a really interesting moment, though, between Jihun, where you see him on his way back, have a sort of flashback where he remembers Sang-Wo thinking and trying to make a decision, and it's almost like he's starting to put, put some pieces together and think that Sang-Wo potentially knows more than he's let on. Um, I think it's the first use of flashbacks in the show so far uh, to remind you, or really remind the viewer, what he's actually thinking here and showing him, showing him what's actually going on in his head. So you're starting to see these first sort of seeds grow for Jihan, but they're very, very clever as they do this slowly. And you can tell it's not totally consuming him yet because he's still very friendly with him. He talks to him. They work together. But there is these seeds starting to grow, isn't there? There is definitely, yes. Sang Wu's face paints a thousand pictures when everybody walks back into the dormitory it's kind of relief but there is a guilt and I've seen a lot of people saying that the acting is a little bit hammy at times but his face is perfect and then the, the slight pause with Ji Hoon when he says oh don't worry I picked the umbrella by myself I think there's a, a split second where he knows, he does know here that his friend is no good, in my opinion. That's what I think anyway. You can just see it, even though the acting has been described as a little bit iffy at times by, by myself and others online, but I thought you could definitely see that. I think in terms of the acting, I think the acting appears a lot worse than it is when you're watching the dubbed version. Because when you're watching the dubbed version, you're actually watching two people playing the same character, really. You're watching the actual physical actor. Then you're watching a voice actor trying to kind of bring to life that what that person's doing is speak at the same time and it is very very difficult and I think the voice acting if anything isn't great and that probably detracts from the actual physical acting because I don't remember that being such a thing for me when I watched it originally with the subtitles but now watching them back so that I can sort of second screen and take notes at the same time I am using the dubbing version and I'm noticing that and people are appearing a little bit more charismatic and a little bit more stage schooly which I didn't notice before on the first watch so I'm not sure if that criticism is coming from a lot of people that have just watched the dubbed version. Perhaps, perhaps. Like, 79 people were eliminated in the Honeycomb game. So I took a look at numerology again, Colin, because it's just something that I think is really interesting. Now, with numerology, it's kind of very much along the same lines as astrology. So very generic terms are getting used, but I found this quite interesting about the number 79. It tends to be tolerant rather than confrontational 
because tolerance provides more opportunities to learn and confrontation tends to focus on one thing. I think that describes Jihoon's actions with Sangwoo, where he doesn't want to confront him about how he is actually feeling and his thoughts on you try to kill us almost, you try to fuck us over there. So again, I don't know if I'm just taking such a deep dive into this that I'm going all over the place, but I think that's quite apt, to be fair. It, it doesn't, what, what you're finding and what you're, what you're noticing fits into the narrative, so you could be onto something, or if you are just over-diving, you're still finding good stuff, so I'm all for it, so please continue with the numerology updates, because I enjoy them. Yeah, $7.4 billion's added to the grand prize, which is now sitting at about $34.8 billion. The players get in line for a shitty little meal, basically. Would you be happy with an egg and a, a bottle of, I don't even know if it's soda or lemonade or tonic water, I don't know what it is. It looks like, yeah, it looks like Sprite or something like that. But yeah, a little meal of one single boiled egg, but it looks like things in a bottle of juice. No, I, I don't think it would particularly fill me. Um, I have just had a lovely bit of honeycomb, to be fair, but no, I, I don't think it's, it's quite enough, given what you're expecting of these people. And I don't think we're alone in our, in our thoughts, because we quite quickly see that um, the kind of gangster, rough type of guy, who we later find out is called Duke Su, is pretty furious about the meal. And him and Player 212 start plotting and scheming their way and come up with a plan in order to cut into the line and get a second helping of food. But not only does that get them a second helping, Jack, and it actually shafts five others who end up with nothing, doesn't it? Yeah, see, this is quite interesting because it would appear that they did make the exact amount of boiled eggs and juice for the players that were there. Yeah. But they want to cause a riot. So the frontman or the people running this, I think, must have known that certain characters in there would steal other people's food and it would lead to disharmony, basically. Because they did make the right amount. There was five. Five sneaked into the line and with five left over. So even though they did make it, they must have known that basically 101, they probably expected them to do what they did and they did not disappoint. Yeah, but what happens as well, the show does make a deliberate point here of showing you the front man observing all this on the CCTV. Um, I think they do this for two reasons. One, I think to show you that nothing that goes on in that main room isn't observed in the first place. And two, that he doesn't care what they do to each other. He's not bothered. And if it's going to help to kind of ignite the ignite the kind of the fires that he wants to start in that room that night, then it's, it's a welcome thing that's happening. So yeah, I think you're spot on. The exact amount with the idea that something will go wrong, people will be left out, and it'll just increase the tension and ramp it all up. Yeah, so we've got a nameless player here to 7-1. Um, he's pretty angry, goes up to the gangster and tries to get his lemonade off of him. It ends up getting smashed and the gangster gets raging and kicks a guy to death in front of all the other players. Nobody really intervenes here. Is everybody absolutely petrified of this guy? They, they certainly seem to be. The players certainly do. I don't think the guards are as such because they've got the the guns and what's not. But the, the players all seem to be. And interestingly, um, the pickpocket, who we later find it's Kang Sibyuk, she's shown for the first time looking pretty vulnerable and pretty concerned. Whereas before this, she seemed pretty bold, Jack, pretty standoffish and had a quite a confident outlook when we'd seen her previously. And for the first time you see her, she's kind of sat a bit concerned and worried about what's going to happen here. Ji Hoon is obviously... The hero, player 456, he does at least try and make a stand and speaks to the guards and shouts at the camera why 
aren't you doing anything? He calls the, the gangster a, a bastard. So he, he, he does, he's not scared of getting on the wrong side of somebody that's just murdered somebody. So that shows a some sort of deep-seated goodness or a little bit of bravery, although he maybe could have stood in earlier, but I suppose he didn't expect the guy to get murdered. He maybe expected him to get a, a sore head or a, a sore rib, basically. So I can see why he didn't jump in straight away. But it, this shows a braveness, again. Just character building. We're still only four episodes in, but there's layers to this guy and they're shown here again. Yeah, absolutely. We've 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 covered some of the obvious flaws that Jihun as a character has as a person sort of thing, but you're also reminded continuously throughout this show of the fact that he's a good man with a good heart, and this is just one example of it. Standing up and being counted and being the one man out of everybody to try and make a stand, to try and argue with the guards. He looks up at the cameras. He knows there's a greater power or somebody in charge watching, and he speaks directly to them as well. And you've seen how he's looked after Ali. You've seen with how he's looked after the old man. He's always thinking about other people as well. And it's it's, it's why he's the hero of the piece. And you're establishing that in every episode, the more that he does. Another character that's not a character, it's an inanimate object, is the board with the money on it, mate. And it plays an interesting part here because there's a realisation that you can kill people and it gets somebody out your way and you've got more chance of winning, basically. I think it's very purposeful that they, they make an announcement. Player 271 has been eliminated. The cash drops in, the numbers drop, and there's a particular moment with uh, 101. Again, the acting here is great. There's this sort of evil smile where he realises, I can personally eliminate people, and it's good acting, in my opinion, anyway. It's it's great acting because, and look, I mean, not only do you see that from him, what you actually see before that is the camera panning across, let's call them the heroes, the team. And they've all got looks of absolute dread and realisation in their faces that these games are now not the only time they need to be in fear of their life. It's going to be just a constant battle from now on by the looks of things. And the only person who isn't looking like that is Juxu, um, who just has that evil, sort of James Bond, evil villain henchman style snigger that he does. And he does. He just looks, he looks frightening, he looks mental, he looks like the kind of guy you just don't want to mess with. And it's 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 quite a, a quite it's quite a scary in some ways or shocking part of the episode because his reaction is just so different to everybody else's. Um, just to go back quickly as well to the money and the cash pot and the board, I think it's very much a way of showing these guys. It's almost look at what you could have won, sort of thing. Look at what you can do. We spoke before about the music they play. Like, there's absolutely no reason for them to play amusement arcade music while that thing's filling up or to flash the lights or anything else other than to entice people, make it alluring, and get them interested in reducing the numbers as quickly as possible, and then that's what they're all about, that's what they want to do, isn't it? Yeah, another thing that I skipped over there was before the gangster kills the guy. This is obviously based around kids' games um, in Korea, and he uses such a childish turn of phrase here when the guy says, that's my lemonade. He says... I don't see your name written on it, which is like something you would say as a five-year-old, but again, it's just, it's that synchronicity that I keep talking about, is even though he's an adult, he's, he's almost forgot how to maybe 
be witty or threatening in this situation and turns into a child. Like, I don't see your name written on it. I thought that was quite, thought it was quite good. I'll get to, there's other parts during this that we'll maybe get on to um, tomorrow in the next episode where some of the red suits are pretty childish as well. But yeah, um, I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. Again, just really good writing, I suppose. It's, it's great, yeah, and it is like a really, it is one of the most childish things you can do. It's literally, it's one step up from you're a bastard. No, you're a bastard. <laughs> it's literally just proper childish playground games and really good synergy with the kind of stuff they've been doing and the environments that they found themselves in. Um, but yeah, it's the writing, the production, everything on this show is just wonderful. Like you could, you could literally pause this scene for scene and pick out great stuff all the time through it. It's, it's wonderful. I tell you what, Colin, this episode's going to be a little bit shorter. Um, we'll wrap it up within, looks about 20 minutes or so, but we have had some questions, queries, and theories. Questions, queries, theories. Last week, we managed to cover i456ers just before we get to your part of the show we would like to let you know that we also do a show called wrong term memory where we cover some true crime some 90s pop culture a little bit of history some science a whole range of things really yeah so if you enjoy listening to us and not just listening to us talking about squid game then just search in your podcast app of choice for wrong term memory or visit our website at wrongtermemory.com if you don't fancy doing that, you can offer your support for Player 456 by leaving a review or rating. Now, on with the show. An email from Shannon from Essex. We're going much further afield today, Colin. We're going to Australia. Somebody has been in contact. I was really, when I seen that that Drew was from Australia, I thought he was maybe going to send us a picture that I had asked for, but there was no picture attached. But he sent in a few questions about Episode 2, so I suppose we can go back and take a, a little look at that. So, I'd like to hear your thoughts on why Il Nam, coincidentally, runs into Jihoon at the bar in Episode 2. The storyline of the show plays out as a happy coincidence, but given what we know about Il Nam's true identity, it's curious as to why you would seek him out. So, what are your thoughts there? I think we had a brief conversation about this particular scene, but I've got my thoughts. What do you think about the coincidental nature? I can't remember if we did it at the start or not, but just in case, big spoiler warning, you're listening to this show because you've seen it already, I assume, but just in case, spoilers coming up. I think with G um, with G Hun bumping into Il Nam in this pub, there's a reason for it, and it's Il Nam has purposely done that. We've, we obviously find out further down the line that he is the man behind these games. He put them together. He's been working on them. He knows everything about them. He knows everything about the contestants. He's also the guy, if you remember, Jack, who had the ability to pause the games. He stopped the games. He had the deciding vote, if you remember, when they sent everybody home. As the guy running the games, I think it's important to him that the people are there because they want to be there and they've made the decision to be there. Hence why he made the decision to send them all home, pretty confident that he would get them all back. In terms of Jihan, I think Jihan was potentially somebody identified by him as somebody who might not come back, who had proper been affected by this. And we were always we also spotted ourselves watching this that his financial situation is nowhere near as dire as the vast majority of other people, Jack. So he's potentially just wired into Jihun because he's somebody that he thinks might not come back and might need that little bit of persuasion. And that's why he's went to see him. Yeah, I think that 
it's also a storytelling and plot device, basically, that Elnam is there to vocalise what is going on. You know, normally there's sort of incidental characters that come into shows that are there as explainers. I think they've used Elnam as an explainer in that scene. He's basically telling Jihoon what's going on, the sort of themes, the just what is, just basically what's happening because it's not at that point a particularly complicated story, but it has took a couple of twists and turns where they've been thrown out. So you're thinking, why would anybody go back? And then he's just explaining what is happening. So I think you're right, and I think it's a pretty good plot device and storytelling device from, again, the, the writer just making sure that everybody knows what's going on by somebody vocalising it and basically explaining it to you, but kind of sneaking that explanation in. Yeah, I mean, this show isn't isn't number one in 90 countries in Netflix because it's rubbish or because it only appeals to certain people. They've got a show, for a show to be successful as this one is. It's got to appeal to everybody, and for that to happen, you do need a little bit of basil exposition during the show just to make sure everybody watching it can keep up with it and keep along because sadly for us everybody that's watched it on Netflix isn't listening to our podcast <laughs> and isn't um, doing the sort of deep dives and the, the rewatch and the rewatch that we're doing and spotting everything so you do need a little bit of exposition in each episode just to keep it moving along and give you those reminders and they're good at doing that without making it obvious this isn't like a, a network show where you suddenly see something before, at the start to remind you of something so you go well, I've not seen him for seven episodes. He's going to be in this one now. It's a lot smarter than that, but it's very, very well done, and it's welcome. Yeah, Drew, thanks for getting in contact. He sent us an email on player456pod at gmail.com. Where else can people find us, Colin, if they want to get in contact? There's a few options. Yeah, people can find us on Twitter at player456pod. And we've also got a website, quitethefigmedia.com. You can find us on there, along with some of the other websites, some of the other podcasts and stuff that we do too. The fact that we got an email from Australia is amazing, Jack. I mean, we, we've seen that we've got a fair few listeners in Australia, which I was shocked by in the first place. But yeah, we've said before, we love your correspondence, so please do get in touch. We like to add in at the show, answer your questions, and quite often you, you pull out things that we haven't. So please continue to do that. Yeah, at least Drew never took offence to us talking about kangaroos kicking fuck out of people in the Australian <laughs> squad games. <laughs> <laughs> right, Drew, thanks for getting in contact, and We hope to hear from more of you soon. We will be back with you tomorrow. Cheers, Colin. Cheers, Jack. Cheers.